What's up? Welcome to the Inner City Innovators Podcast, where we will discuss marginalized communities and what it will take to bring true, lasting hope and transformation to the disadvantaged. Now, here are your hosts and hope dealers, Sean Montal and Ricky Aiken. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to ICI Podcast, where we teach you how to be a hope dealer. And today, I'm here with a very special guest, Dwayne Jackson of Hoops <laughs> on Mission. Welcome, bro. How you doing, man? It's a blessing to be here, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to have you, man. You've always been like a brother. We started our organizations yep. around the same time. Uh, we're on different coasts of Florida. You're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. But I think the mutual encouragement we get from seeing each other continue to good fight has been just as much a blessing to you as it has to me, I hope. Definitely, definitely. And um, seeing you thriving and um, achieve all your dreams and goals is, is a beautiful thing to, to see. And um, it's really encouraging. And, and with, with us, man, like, starting at the same time, like, it's beautiful to see how God moves and yep. um, to different things that we do. So Yeah, exactly. I want to get our, our listeners acquainted as quick as possible, man. What is Hoops on Mission? Like, how did you start that? What made you want to start that? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so two, about nine years ago, two of my cousins were murdered in Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was a school teacher. And during that time, my wife and I, we always had dreams of being missionaries in different places, like yeah. Africa, Nicaragua, Haiti, places that we've both been. Right. And when my, when my cousins got killed, I we prayed, I fasted, and we be we we felt like we got the calling to be local missionaries. Right. So right. at first we didn't know what that looked like. Uh, what are we gonna do? But man, through prayer, um, we had this vision of using basketball to tell kids about Jesus. Mm. So what we did was this school in Fort Myers, Dunbar in particularly. Uh, we went to that school and asked that school, like, what's the needs of your school? And they said, reading fluency. And I started helping kids read, but also I started learning stories. Yeah. And um, stories like, we're not eating every night. Um, my dad in jail. Different things that started tug at my heart. And um, that's how Hoop Some Mission started. You know, yeah. and uh, it's a beautiful thing to see where we at right now. Absolutely. So I see faith as a big part of your journey, and I love that. And where did basketball become the tool for you? Like, when, how old were you when you got introduced to the game of basketball, and how far did it take you? When I was in fourth grade, I started playing basketball. Yeah. And for me, I started playing basketball because – of my high school, my, my, my dad's high school basketball coach let me play for free. Wow. And I didn't want to play basketball, you know? And uh, through that experience, that first year, we won the championship. And I was so excited. And from that moment, I didn't put a basketball down. Now, at the time, in my household, it was a lot going on where my mom was getting abused by my stepfather. And as you know, it caused a lot of trauma in my life, and, and basketball became my anger outlet. Right. And 
I wanted to go to the NBA. I wanted to get my mom out of that that mud that we, we, we call it where I'm from. And basketball was, was my dream. And living in poverty and, and growing up, not knowing you in poverty till I started getting in middle school where when I, when I came home, the lights were off. Right, right. And sometimes I came home and we had to take um, baths at our neighbor's house. Yeah. And I'm understanding like, man, like, like we, we really don't have nothing, but we had each other. Right. So through that, and my mom being my role model, two or three jobs, cleaning churches and doing different things like that, it, it, it built my faith and um, it made me have this drive that like, I gotta get my family out of here. Yeah, and you often see that with a lot of athletes that are from where we come from. Like when the kids from the suburbs and they're playing sports, they're probably just playing for a love of the game. But so often, when you come from communities of concentrated disadvantage and poverty, that sport becomes your, your lifeline. It becomes the, the tool of which you hope to rescue your family and help your community. So the pressure that you feel as a young athlete isn't just the pressure of the sport. It's the pressure of carrying an entire community, family on your back. How did, how did you deal with that? That's a great question. It was hard, uh, like seeing, like seeing my mom get abused. It did something to me. Yeah. And going to school, carrying all that pain, I struggled. I struggled in school because it was hard. And growing up, h how we did, you you don't tell nobody what's going on at home. You hold all right. that pain in. Internalize it. So, I have a lot of friends who sold drugs, violence, gangs, you know, and uh, I was so focused that I was on a mission. Yeah. I wanted to get my family out of here and I was gonna do whatever it took. Now in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I started shooting 500 shots a day and because wow. it, it was serious yeah. in the rain, whatever. I was so focused that I carried all this pain in me that this is this is it. This is how I'm going to survive. Now right. I didn't have a lot of mentors speaking into my life at that time, so it was either the streets or the NBA, and that's right. all I knew. And yeah. nobody was going to knock me off that mission. So, yeah. I see a lot of parallels between you and my little brother. Um, you know, our family watched my mom struggle with drug addiction and and growing up in a community. Uh, that was notorious for poverty, drug abuse, and violent crimes. And I, I saw that, that clean to the basketball for my little brother, like where he basically had tunnel vision. Every time you saw him, he was had a ball. He would break into the school next to uh, where we live just to get shots up before school. And basketball really is, like, it, it helps you escape mentally a lot of the things that are kind of pressuring you from your environment. What high school uh, did you go to? And what was the, the track from high school to college? Because now you're becoming a young man, yeah. right? You kind of know your skill level. You're probably getting respect in the community. The dynamics at home are probably the same or may have changed a little bit, but you're old enough now to process things a little different. What was that high school to college transition like for you? So for me, in high school, I averaged 32 points a game my senior year. Wow. And 
I got I to gotta give you props, bro, because that ain't easy. <laughs> and I had all this hype locally. Yeah. But nobody ever pushed me in the classroom. Right. So I ended up having to go to junior college. Mm. And then I went to Division One. Yeah. So high school, I played basketball at Mariner High School in Cape Coral, Florida, which is outside of Fort Myers a little bit. Yeah. And at the time in Fort Myers, they were gentrifying everything. So mm. if you lived in this certain community, you had to go to the predominantly white school. Right. And we, we was coming to Fort, coming to Manor, Manor High School, which is about 45-minute bus ride. Right. They pick up everybody, and we was so-called the black bus right. coming in. Mostly so they would pick y'all up from the hood and take y'all to this school out in the suburbs. Yes. And wow. my life changed there, and basketball was was everything to me. So to stay on topic, from Mariner High School, from Mariner High School, I ended up going to Hillsborough Community College, yeah. which is a JUCO in Tampa. Yeah. And from there, I ended up going to Charleston Southern University in South Carolina, yeah. which is a small Division One school. And it's been different steps in my life, with different things happen throughout those those um, those years, but. I ended up graduating, and a lot of different things happened, but that's my... Yeah. Tell me about Mariner. You say the, the, the environment there changed your life. Mm -hmm. How so? So, going to Mariner High School, I wasn't used to doing life with people that didn't look like me. Right. So, it was a culture chop because going in the classroom and then going on the basketball court and then going to my friend's house in that neighborhood, yeah. I got to see another side. Yeah. So a story I would like to share is I became friends with this, this kid named Eric Norman. And Eric Norman lived in lived on Pine Island, you know? Yeah. And, uh, What's Pine Island? Pine Island is like, it's Cape Coral. And then when you go... When you go like 15 minutes down the road a little more, um, it's like an island. Got it. It's like a wealthier and, place? Or yeah, more, more wealthier. Got right? you, got you. So Eric Norman had a pantry. Eric Norman had everything. Yeah. And we became best friends. That was my guy yeah. in high school. So every weekend, I used to go to his house. Yeah. And I used to take snacks and food back home to my, my yeah. house, you know? Yep. But we became family. Like his 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 dad took me to get my license, my my restricts. Yeah, we, we 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 was close, but I got an opportunity to see another side. Yeah, where a lot of my other friends didn't get to see that other side. Right, you know, and I I got to go around to eat around the dinner table. Yep. which was different. I got to um, have the luxury of just going in the pantry and, and picking out whatever I want. Right, you know. Right, and. Um, I cherish that because I got to understand a different side, yep. you know? And you know how, and sometimes in life you got to code switch. You got to communicate yep. a different type of way. Yep. During those years, I learned that yeah. early, yeah. you know? And um, that's a beautiful thing. So Mariner, 32 points a game was, was a beautiful thing, but I never had anybody pushing me in right. the classroom. Like everybody was pushing me on the basketball court. Right, right. And unfortunately, a lot of D1s, at the time, didn't want me because I didn't have the grades to right. go to the higher colleges. Right. So. 
Got you. And you touch on something that's really important, and it's the support system that you got at that school. Like, and, and this is, like, it's something that blessed me as well. Like, my life didn't start, like, changing until I fortunately or unfortunately got around people that weren't from where I was from, right? It was, uh, I was working at uh, Urban Youth Impact. I think we met, we met there. It was like when I was at that organization and hanging around the staff there, I was exposed to things that I never probably would have been exposed to before outside of my community. And it kind of opens up your paradigm because when you're from where we come from, you think like the street life or the limited options there are all there is to life. But then you go to this other side and then you, you're, you're, it's like, oh, a whole different light goes off about the possibility. And not just that, to have people who are willing to support you. And like, there are, like, I got a lot of white friends and a lot of listeners and people that listen. And I think sometimes in this country, we overcomplicate the solution to all the race problems, right? I believe that every young black boy growing up in the hood that don't have the support system should have a white family that's well off, that's their, like, that's supporting them in a way, right? Because the kids growing up in these communities now, that we, we didn't create the conditions that had come to define our community, and we won't be able to change them alone. And I think families and, and people who don't look like us that understand that and use their social capital and their resources to alleviate the, the sufferings along your path, it does more than anybody can ever account for. And I think we both share that and we're both on the other side of things as as positive uh, uh, the positive effects of those kind of relationships. Definitely, definitely. For for me, um, I'm real big in faith, as you know it, and uh, I I when I first started Hoops on Mission, I had a, a friend of mine, white guy. He, he challenged me. He said, Dwayne, how many books have you read in your lifetime? Mm. I was 28, 29. And I was like, none. Right. And he was like, I'm going to give you this book, and I want you to read it and come talk to me in two days. Right. I'm like, two days? Like, yeah. Yeah. But he was challenging me. Yeah. Like, nobody ever challenged me before. Yeah. You know? Yep. People challenged me on the basketball court, but not like that. The book was, uh, what was it? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, that book changed my life, bro. And I, and, and I read it, and I came back with all this, like, information. And that, that kind of drove me to want to read more books. You know? Yeah. And I'm a reader now. Yeah. And uh, I, I think about that, and I think about how... My buddy was lifting me up and pushing me out of my comfort zone. And then yeah. you know how you get get out of your comfort zone. Yep. That's that's where you grow. And yep. from that situation, it's basically what hoops on mission right. is all is all about right now. Same, bro. And I say that and I, I think that's the most beautiful thing, like in our faith walk, especially, bro. Like when when I was around this organization, Christian organization, being discipled, mm -hmm. I'm giving all these books. And I think it was that 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 turn on to literature that just never stopped for me, you know? And uh, my pastor at the time would always say, leaders are readers, readers are leaders, 
right? And so I always, like, had that relationship. And then that book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, man, like, knowing the difference between a proactive and a reactive person. Like, when we were growing up, we were probably reactive, reacting to everything in our life, right? Our community bad, we bad. The weather bad, we bad. Instead of being proactive and beginning with the end in mind and kind of, like, asking God for the grace to carve out our own path in the midst of the madness. Where did your uh, faith walk start? Like, when, when, when did you first come to terms with your faith, your, your need for Jesus, and, and put it all together till it eventually bear the fruits that you're experiencing nowadays? So to be real, I, I grew up going to church, but when I went home, it was never church. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. never real. It was never authentic. Right. So in college... When I went to Charleston Southern, it was a Christian college. Yeah. And we used to have to go to chapel and do all sorts of things. And after Charleston Southern, that's when I got baptized. Yeah. And from Charleston Southern, when I went back home, I end up, you know how you, you get baptized and you go back to your home and it's your friends yeah and you got this credibility and everybody know you but you don't really have nobody walking with you right and you stumble you yep. hit a lot of speed bumps throughout the way yep so i end up going to church and i end up meeting this worship pastor mm. which at the time i didn't know he was a pastor i just thought he was right. a guy who do music yeah. So after church one day, he came up to me, white guy, skinny jeans. Yeah. And he said, your worship game is really weak. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, my hands started getting sweating because I'm yeah. angry. And I was like, what you mean? He was like, I see you play basketball all the time. And when you come in here, you, you, you don't know what it means to worship. And you get basketball 100 miles per hour, but... When you're, in the, when you're in the presence of God, you don't lift up your hands. Wow. You call me out. Yeah. How old were you? I was probably 20s, late 20s. Yeah. My late yeah. 20s, right? Wow. Around there. Yeah. And from that point, um, what happened was this white guy started to hang out with me. Like, do like yeah. with me. Yeah. He was like, man, like you should listen to this music. Right, right. He didn't yeah. just criticize you and judge you and leave he, he, he you hanging. He criticized me. He, disi- he discipled he, you he in a way. He discipled me and started telling me what it means to worship. Right. And he was like, worship is not just on a Sunday morning thing. It's something where you can worship throughout the week. Right. And he started giving me this music. He started giving me all these different things. Yeah. And throughout the time, like, it, it, it clicked to the point where, I go on my side of the tracks to play ball. Yeah. And he like, man, can I come play ball with you? Right. I'm like, yeah. And then when someone talked bad about it, I'm like, hey, man, listen, hey, you better yeah. talk bad about him. Right. We was doing life together. Yeah. And I think for me, that's when my, my, my faith started to change, where my my buddy my buddy said, man, like, when, 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 when you sin, it breaks my heart. Mm. And it breaks Jesus' heart, but it also breaks my heart. Right. He was discipling me. 
Right. He, he was reading with me. He was he wasn't judging me because of what music I listened to. Right. He was listening to it too. Yeah. And like man, like what are you getting out of this? Yeah. So we became like like brothers, and from there. It was another springboard where I'm like, man, okay. So every time I walk into church, wherever I'm at, I know what it means to worship now. Right. It ain't right. just because the beat sound good. Yeah. You got smoke machines, all right. that. Right. It's because you in the presence of God and everything that you did during the week, yeah. you give it to God. Yep. You know? Yep. And that changed me because I started my faith journey off of learning what worship truly meant right and it's it's been everything for me right and i see the parallel between that that experience and how you do what you do with your young people you know you're not like preaching at them knocking them down like you're doing life with them you know you're, you're telling them something but you're you're walking with them to see those things for themselves. And to me, you know, like we talk about Jesus, that's what he did, you know. He took these 12 guys and changed the world with them, right? Yes. And it was through the time he spent with them. You know, the lessons that they got were through experience and, and seeing his life. And that's how I try to do what I do with my young man. Like I'm not, I don't tell them what to think. I teach them how to think for themselves so that when they're in certain uh, predicaments they know how to carry themselves now many people won't know this about you but i do so i'm gonna bring it up man you, you got to try out for the los angeles lakers right yes tell me yes. about that bro that's like because that's like the that's like the top of the mountain like that's uh uh, uh that's the dream right that's the purple and gold that's my favorite team kobe bryant's my guy like they will always be mount everest of basketball for me talk to me about what that experience was like getting to try out for them and then that pivot you know of of not being able to to get there how do how you dealt with that and, and turned that pain into something productive So, I'm going to try out for the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm -hmm. My mom, my whole family counting on me. This is my moment. This is where in fourth grade, I, I shot 500 shots a day. Like, this is, this is it. I'm here. We used to say, it's, it's all on you, Wayne. It's mm -hmm. all on you. Yep. There's a lot of pressure on my back. So, I, I, I get that opportunity. I, I'm in L.A. And L.A., for, Coming from Fort Myers and going to LA from the, for the first time is it's a whole nother world out right. there. And I'm trying out and we trying out and Kobe Bryant walks through the door. Wow. Right? And at the time Kobe Bryant works out before everybody else gets in the gym. Yeah. You know? And I see him and he he nod, but you know, I'm like starstruck a little bit. But I'm trying out. I'm 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 here, you know? yeah. You know, and uh, Phil Jackson up there, Mitch Kupchak, wow. And I'm here now. I'm from Charleston. So I'm playing at. A, I played at a small college called Charleston Southern. Yeah. You got Arizona. You got North Carolina. Yeah. I, but this is my moment, and I made the final day of the final cuts. But then you get. I got that call that that crushed me and said I didn't make it. Man. And at that time. I became depressed. Mm. Like I, I stayed in my house for about two months 
because of the shame of telling my friends I didn't make it. Right. You know, and and that's that's a moment where was a huge pivot in my life because I have a brother and he has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And every day I I get the opportunity to see him, how he live his life and and one day he he calls me and he says hey bro how you doing and i'm like bro I ain't, I ain't, i'm not doing good not thinking that he understands right the situation because down syndrome is like they they, they understand they, they yeah. you know but not understand that deeply and, he, and right. my brother like he's like man listen you can't give up you gotta keep pushing yeah you gotta you you Dwayne, we love you and, yeah. and it kind of just like gave me life another man. pivotal point in my life that gave me life that man like it's more to this yeah it's way more to this and if my brother who got down syndrome who got heart issues and can't do things that i do right can can speak that life into me like that it's on so yeah. it kind of gave me a, a boat of energy and then that started my journey wow and, uh yeah. And that's that's so powerful, bro, because I resonate with that. You're you're at the door, bro. You you watched your mom struggle, the abuse. You come from this community where you had to go without your little brother and the complications that come with that. And you're at that door where you feel like, man, if I make good on this opportunity, I'm there just to get that call, bro. And the the depression, bro, I can't tell you how many guys I know that like that that depression characterizes their life where it didn't it didn't stop at two months. Like I told you, I got a family member that that's going through that. And to see that you were able to to kind of you went through it, right? You weren't spared the pain. You weren't spared the depression. You went through what you had to go through, but you were able to see the the light at the end. There there's people out there and I'm I'm going to send this podcast to my loved one. What do you say to somebody who got to the door like they got there but they couldn't walk through and they're having to deal with the disappointment and the dejection and the feeling like a failure for carrying the entire the expectations of their entire community on their back. How would you coach them through that that dark night? I would say humility is so important. And I can honestly say that I was really proud. I was so cocky. I wasn't confident. And I tell this story all the time that if I would have made it to the Lakers, my life would have been destroyed. Mm. I wanted the money. I wanted the girls. I wanted all that yeah. that the world had to offer. Yep. But God had different plans for me. Mm. And God got different plans for you too as well. For me and my journey, I thought that was it. Right. I thought that was everything in life. I worked to this moment. Like it's nothing else better than this moment right here. Mm. And boom, now what? But vulnerability is beautiful. Right. And humility is beautiful. 
And if you just stay focused and trust God in those hard seasons, he has a plan for your life. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, people can look at you and make assumptions about you. Right. Now, back then, my identity was basketball. Right. That was my everything. Yeah. But what I'm doing now is way more important than basketball. Right. And for those who are going through this, this painful experiences, it's so much more. There's so many kids out there that are, are looking for a mentor or a father figure yep. to just do life with that is so powerful. Like I, I'm, I'm 39 right now. I got yeah. three beautiful children. In October, it'd be nine years of marriage. Wow. I, I never thought I would be married. Yeah. Basically because of what I've seen growing up. Yeah. And if I would have made the Lakers, I, w I wouldn't have got married. I wouldn't have went through those lessons. I wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to even help people out. Right. I was, I was selfish. Right. It was all about me. It was all about me. Right. You know, of course I wanted to help my, my family out, but, right. but I had a posture that needed to change. Mm. And my posture changed, and now I'm being a light for kids in the dark places. And for people who are going through tough, tough times and situations where you feel like there's no way out, God has a plan for you. But these moments are to shape and mold you and build you up because he has a better plan for you down the line. Mm. Whew. I can't, there's nothing I can add to that, bro. But just reemphasizing the fact that of what you said, these, these hard times, these, these sad times are oftentimes the catalyst for something greater. And when you, when you think that what you got now is great, you can't even fathom how much better and more useful you could be to this world but you've gone through that darkness to see that. And that, that, that is just beautiful, brother. That is beautiful. Now, every time I see you, bro, you, you're <laughs> glowing when you talk about your wife and how wonderful a person she is, man. And I just wanna, I just wanna hear you talk a little bit about how she supported you in this journey. I know she got you connected uh, to therapy or helped you find like a, a, an acceptance in it. But brag on your wife, man, because I'd be remiss if I didn't give you that opportunity. Yes. Thank you for that opportunity. Knowing how much you love her. I love, I love my wife, my, my helpmate, my schmoo, my sugar cookie my everything, my life. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the man who I am today. Right. And when I, when I first met my wife, I was in a spot where it was a lot of stuff I needed to learn. And my wife had things where my wife knew where she was going. Yeah. I was still a little boy, mm. you know? And when I met my wife, she was like, I'm dating towards marriage. So if you ain't dating towards marriage, then right. we don't need to be wasting no time. That's probably the first time you heard first something like that, I right? I heard that. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, you know? And throughout our journey of getting married, be proposing, when I first met her, I started saving up for a ring. Yeah. First met, I started saving up for a ring. Wow. And I went and told my brother, I said, bro, like, 
I met my wife. He's like, man, stop playing. You didn't get married. <laughs> yeah. But it was something different. It was, it was her heart for God, but also her, her fire. Yeah. It was different. Yeah. And my wife, Honduran and Puerto Rican. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you this. Like I said, my wife got me connected to therapy. Um, but my wife loves Jesus more than anybody I know. Yeah. And she's an amazing mother. And, but she gonna talk. Yeah. And for me, like, I'm like, like, I hold a lot of things in. Yeah. And she was able to see that and, and tell me that, man, like, you need to go get some extra help. Right. Now, at the time, I was scared because when I was a kid, I seen my mom go to a crazy home. Yeah. So I had, that's the only picture I had of mental health. mental health. Like yeah. I didn't know, you know, what I, what I know now. Right. And going to therapy, learning what cognitive distortions is, learning, uh, fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. Different things that triggers trauma. Yep. Cognitive dissonance. Like so many things that, I was going through that my wife was able to see in me to go get help. Now, right. we've been, it'd be nine years in October that we've been married. Yeah. We got three beautiful children, Camila, Carmelo, and Malachi. And marriage, marriage is hard and beautiful. Yeah. And for me, with marriage, I'm such a peacemaker. Yeah. I want peace. Yeah. So I would do anything to have peace. Right. Even if it's sacrificing or, or doing diapers to the point where I don't got to do it. Like my, my wife can do it, but right. you know, that, that was my peace. Yeah. But throughout marriage, I, I've learned that conflict is important. Yeah. Yep. Conflict, understanding something, having a problem and being able to talk it out. It's a beautiful thing. Right. You know, I also learned that I don't like to be rejected. Mm. And when 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 I when my wife says no, it doesn't mean she's leaving me forever. Right. It just means no. But what what, what are those triggers coming out now? Right. I can and the stories you tell about that. It's so many things. But my wife, my helpmate, like Genesis two eighteen said, God was bring you a help, get you a helpmate. Yeah. And my wife is honestly. My helpmate, she helps me. She mm. pushes me. Like, she sent me a text just now, like, God has called you to do this. Yeah. This is your moment. Yep. Like, this is what you worked your whole life to be at. Yeah. Doing things like this. You are a missionary. Yep. Like, kids look up to you. Like, be you. Be you. God yeah. created you to be you. And it just makes me stand up a little bit taller. Yeah. Like my wife said. You know? Yeah. And, that, and that's beautiful, bro. And, and your wife kind of touched on something that I think we all like struggle with coming from where we come from. Like when you come from broken homes, the only examples you have of how to handle and resolve conflict are negative ones, right? When my, you know, how my grandma handled conflict, she cuss you out. She go from zero to a hundred, right? So, and then all rejection and it seemed finite. It, was, it wasn't just a rejection of whatever you brought up. It felt like a rejection of you as an individual and no one ever taught you how to, how to process that. 
And we, even when you look at a lot of the mental health challenges, things like borderline personality disorder, uh, uh, bipolar, like a lot of this stuff, the root cause is trauma. It's, it's neglect. It's abandonment. And so I know for the longest time for me growing up and understanding myself, I'm like, why when I'm in a relationship and things start getting close, I want to run. I want to flee. I get uncomfortable, right? And it wasn't until I had someone kind of point me like to mental health and, hey, you should be looking at this and this based on your upbringing that I was ever able to bring it together. But we have entire communities that, that need healing, spiritual healing, mental healing, all of this. But unless they got people who've gone through it, who were able to bring it back and say, look, I know you used to think this or you grew up thinking this about mental health, but as someone that's walked through, here's something that can make it resonate with you at that deeper level. That's so powerful, bro. Let me ask you this. Hoops on mission. It's your legacy, or it's a part of the legacy that you're going to leave your community to bless it. What do you want it to be remembered for as we close out? That's a great question. I, I mean, you think, you think about Hoops on Mission. You think about all that we've been through with Hoops on Mission. I, I want people to honestly see Jesus in me. I want people to see that it's okay to cry sometimes. I'm 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 a family first guy yeah. all the time. I choose family over work yeah. any day of the week. If something wrong with my family, mm. I'm there. I want people to know that you can be a light in dark places, regardless if you white Spanish, black, whatever. You just got to do life with people. Right. I want people to know that when, when, when you see us, when you see people, uh, you should want to get to know their story. Yeah. So one thing with me, like I get to know people's stories. Right. Not just their basketball stories or work stories. I want to know your pain stories. Right. And that comes with time and doing life with people. I want people to model how I live my life. Mm. So my legacy is one of my favorite verses is Matthew 5.13. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Mm. I want them to know that. I want them to understand, regardless of your trauma, background, different situations that you went through, I want people to understand that we are light bulbs, right? And we are called to shine in dark places, and we all can shine in dark places if we just believe and take one step at a time and keep looking forward and keep moving forward, and also asking for help. I think a big thing for me is, in the beginning, I didn't ask for help. Right. So when when funding became an issue, I didn't ask for help. Right. I felt like I could do it by myself. Right. I still had some of them, some of them bad habits as a as a kid right you know like i'm gonna do this yeah you'll make it happen yeah but i need to ask for help i want people to see hoops on mission as we are the bridge to a community where it's really segregated 
right. where we bringing people together from all ethnicity, ethnicities and cultures and we doing life with people. I think that's very important. And we are family. I think everybody want to be a part of a, yeah. a family. Yep. I think that's so important. That's beautiful, bro. And as I always tell people, like, real change happens when the people who need it lead it. God uses the weak, the foolish, the things that are not. And if you ever felt inadequate, we, we, I'm telling you, we were the pick textbook definition of inadequacy. Yet, yet here we are because we chose to believe that we could be of service. How do people reach you? Uh, you can reach me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can email hoopsonmission at gmail.com. Website, hoopsonmission.org. LinkedIn, Dwayne Jackson. Yeah, those are the things that you can, nice. you can reach me for. Hoopsonmission.org, y'all. Find them on IG. Show them some support. I know I got a lot of friends and supporters out on the West Coast. If you're looking to support something local that's making a huge impact, I implore you, support my bro Dwayne, support Hoops on Mission, and all the great work they're doing with young people in Fort Myers. Dwayne, any last words you want to leave with the people? I would like to share a poem. Let's do it. And uh, this poem is basically one of my mentors in Fort Myers was like, man, this is your, this is your poem. This is you. And um, Brian Loritz, he said, you can debate facts but you can't debate experiences. Mm. And this is just my, one of my stories, one of my poems that I wrote and it's dear to my heart. So it's called Project Baby. And growing up, getting bust out to the, all these predominantly white schools, teachers labeled me a project baby. But through all that, through those times, they didn't know my story. Right. They labeled me because I came from this environment. I truly, I truly believe that people get labeled for living in certain places and they don't even know their story. Right. So somebody can look at you and label you and they don't even know your story. Yeah. And based on resources and systemic things, it can cause pain and hurt and confusing. Right. Confusing. So this story, this poem is called Project Baby. Labeled a project, but aren't we all projects? I was labeled a gangster, but my family haven't ate yet. School lunch saved me from being hungry some days. Can you relate? I was growing up living paycheck to paycheck. I used to pray for better days. Cereal for dinner had my stomach a mess. It's no wonder I'm lactose intolerant, but there was no other options growing up in the projects. Summer so hot, but inside my heart so cold. Long days on the b-ball court. I had big dreams of making it to the pros. Sun tanning on the b-ball court had me changing shades, but my mindset was set to do anything to get a smile on my mother's face. I'm a little darker now, but I made $50 betting on a one-on-one -on -one game. Just 14 years old, I knew if I would have lost, I would have ended up on the front page. I was betting with no coins in my pocket from a drug dealer. I could have ended up in the grave. But that was our dinner money for that night. I had to feed a family of six for a few days, smile on my mother's face, because you know she was only making minimum wage, but we know all bets off when there's no food on the table. 
Cop gets behind me as I pull in my mother's yard. Cop jumps out. Mama opened the door. I ran into her arms. I was so scared for a few reasons. But you know, my mama gave him a few words. Those dreads from a college graduate from a Christian college fit a description of a wanted suspect. I was spooked for a few days. Man, I didn't even leave the house. Paralyzed and afraid, I'm thankful for my mama coming out that house. I said, paralyzed and afraid, I'm thankful for my mama coming out that house. Becoming a sick and abused kid for him or her to, to become healthy and crack a smile. I was punished by my teachers growing up because of my IEPs never fitted the crowds. But living in the projects made me smarter, especially those days when I had to walk on water. Project baby. Mm. Thank you. www.hoopsonmission.org. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Dwayne Jackson, y'all. Thank you, bro. Awesome.